Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we can all breathe like freely again. It's really exciting. Yay! I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks coming to you from a city that is no longer the most polluted city on the planet. Um, It's quite quite nice. Uh, And with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you doing this fine evening? We're actually, well, for me, it's evening. For you, it's afternoon. But we're actually recording later today. For me, it's the middle of the afternoon in June in Los Angeles. And it is 67 degrees for some freaking reason. Good heavens. Everybody's having very weird weather. That's all I have to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another chance of rain tonight. Wow. And into tomorrow. And of course, my nephew's graduation party is tomorrow. So, you know, (laughs) great timing. Who knew that you couldn't plan an outdoor event for June in California? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you should be able to do that. I don't know. Um, It's generally safe to to plan outdoor events in California between like April and December. (laughs) Like, usually you can... Like occasionally you'll get some bad weather thrown in there or you'll get like wind or something. But for the most part, you can like you should have a backup plan, but most likely your outdoor event will be just fine. Except for this year where everything is just upside down. Well, send some of that rain towards Canada because they need it. They really, really need it. They really do. I know. They really Basically do. Basically, the think, entire country is on fire right now. Yeah. They, I, I guess that they're supposed to start getting... I know that Ontario is supposed to get some rain uh, at the beginning of next week. So hopefully... We're supposed to get some rain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that will help to deal with some of the issues that we're dealing with. Um, yeah. Poor Canada. I'm sorry, Canada. I did blame you a couple of days ago, and I'm sorry for that. I know it's not your fault. You don't want this either. Yeah. It does make me think, though, of last year when there were really horrible wildfires going on. And there was this map that showed all the fires that were currently burning in the United States, like in the continental United States. So Alaska and Canada or Alaska and Hawaii were not part of it, but, you know, basically the lower 48. And someone, some idiot on Twitter or Facebook or wherever I was looking was commenting on like, well, shouldn't we be talking about the fact that all these fires just magically stop at the Canadian border? And like, why isn't Canada having a problem with fires? And it's like, looking at the map that you're looking at, this is not map Canadian fires because that is not part of America, actually. (laughs) And also they are having fires too. Amazingly enough, we're all part of the same landmass, and it's true. The like fires and smoke and stuff like that do not stop at borders because it doesn't care; it's nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> wow, some people are just like, how how do you function through through life? Like, how do you survive? How do you get through? And I, I just it's mystifying. 
I've asked this question numerous times this past week, actually. Like there, there just been some type just like how I I I know I'm I am aware of the fact that like the actual IQ of the average person is much lower than it should be. Like I know that there are people that like a lot of people are just stupid. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about just stupidity and just willful ignorance and being like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Just like I cannot explain to you why that is the dumbest thing that you just said. Like, do we really have to do this? <laughs> right. <laughs> but still, yeah, sometimes the, the stupidity boggles the mind. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. It's amazing. Um, so really, really quickly before we go on to our topic for today, which I am so excited about, like you don't even know. <laughs> Me too. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be this excited about it, but I was like, oh, this is fun. I can't wait to talk about these movies. Mm-hmm. Um did want to mention really quickly because we talked quite a lot about The Shining and especially Shelley Duvall and her performance and the issues that she had um, behind the scenes and uh, in front of the camera and stuff like that. There's actually a really excellent, extensive uh, Twitter thread by a fan account that was talking about Shelley Duvall and kind of debunking some of the stories um, and some of the I guess, interpretations of what happened on the set of The Shining and her reactions to it at the time and things like that. That is basically, basically the conclusion is no, Stanley Kubrick did not drive Shelley Duvall insane. Like that's not something that happened. Did not drive her into a a nervous breakdown or anything. Um, Although it does sound like it was a difficult role. It was a difficult shoot. This was, and Kubrick is notoriously not an easy, was never an easy person to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we'll link the the Twitter thread in the show notes. This is a fan who's talking about it, but they do support it with quotes from Duval, quotes from uh, Kubrick, fr- uh, a video from some of the Shining documentaries that have been made, things like that. It's really interesting, and it's kind of a good it's a good insight into I think the the way that that film was made, and especially into her character and her performance in it. Yeah. So we will definitely link that. Let's today we're going to talk about I keep on calling the, this uh, episode big gay movies. <laughs> I don't know what else to call. It. They're just like these are movies that are really really gay. This is basically what we decided uh yes. to talk about. <laughs> Which is exactly how we talked about it. We we're like let's talk about big gay movies. And yes. Yeah. What movies are just like really really gay? Super gay. Uh, so we chose three super gay movies, um, all of which I love, which is, you know, wonderful and fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have mentioned these films before. We've chatted about them a little bit, but not in, in the depth that we're we're going to go into now. So first up, I am going to go in chronological order, which means that the first film we're going to talk about is the 1996 comedy directed by Mike Nichols, adapted by Elaine May, which... <laughs> just blew my mind somehow i've seen this movie so many times and i it never clicked with me at all that this was directed by nichols and written by elaine may mm-hmm. um and it is the birdcage starring robin williams nathan lane gene hackman diane weist uh costa flockhart hank azaria it's if you haven't seen the birdcage go see the birdcage like i can't believe that you've made it i've if you're an american i can't believe you've made it this far and never seen the birdcage it was such a huge film um and is just so goddamn entertaining and so funny and so wonderful 
and it is actually an adaptation of a French film, um, La Cage à Faux, which is basically the same plot about a gay couple who own a drag club and whose son comes home and says that they are, that he is going to get married, but the person that he's marrying has really conservative parents. In this case, it is a Senator and, and in order to kind of make these ultra conservatives a little bit more comfortable, be okay with their daughter marrying this gay couple's son. There's all of these hoops that uh, the couple have to jump through and to try to sort of present themselves as less gay than they actually are. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know where to start with this. What are your f- general feelings about the birdcage, Karen? So, well, first of all, I just wanted to mention that you had messaged me, oh my gosh, this was adapted by Elaine May. And I knew that because of our Elaine May episode. It wasn't something that I was like actively thinking about, but it was like, oh yeah, yeah, it totally was. So then when I was rewatching it this week, I was like, oh my gosh, Emmanuel Lubeski was the cinematographer. <laughs> Bo Welch did the production design and Roth <laughs> did the costumes. Like I was getting excited about that stuff because I, I tend to these days I more of my writing is about the the artist, the artisan uh-huh. work on film so it's like all these names of people that uh i have admired for so long it's like it was fun to see like and it just was one of those things where it's like man this is this is a bountiful harvest of talent on both sides of the camera in this film mm-hmm. it was just really it was really fun to to kind of have that reminder or realization because it's been a long time since i've since I've watched the birdcage, I've seen it a million times. I saw it in the theater probably more than once. Um, but it just, yeah, it was just such a fun, like, Oh yeah. You know, kind of moment for me. <laughs> well, I think that you can see that though. Like it, it is, it does have a spectacular amount of talent, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, but you can, that opening shot where it's moving over um, the ocean, right. Mm-hmm. And you go and the, the camera, like, basically, it look, it's very, very seamless. And the camera basically, like, enters the, it goes over the beach, it enters the street, it goes into the birdcage. And you get that, like, it, it's, it's, it's a fantastic establishing shot because you get all of the energy, all of kind of the happiness, all of the colors and the brightness, um, even though, like, it's it's initially opening at night, you get all of that within a very short amount of time and you've got the um was we are family playing over um playing over and so it establishes so well exactly the world that we're entering Mm -hmm. and what that world looks like and feels like and one of the things that i love about this film and that i felt again in in re-watching it for however the umpteenth time right um is how much joy this film has Mm-hmm. It is such a happy film and it deals sometimes with, you know, kind of difficult things um, yeah. in a comedic way, but it's still deal. It, it does deal with issues of conservatism. It deals with bigotry. It deals with, um, you know, this, this film, this was a film made in 1996. Gay people could not get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and it deals with that as well. And you definitely feel that. And before we get, sorry, I, I just want to say there's, but there's so much joy as a part of that. That's, yeah. that's, and that starts with the opening shot. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get too far into actually talking about the substance of the film, I just wanted to point out, especially, and I think that this is this is an important point to, to talk about now in an age where trans rights are so under attack. 
um, specifically. And there's a lot of like, like cities outlawing drag shows or drag performances. I mean, we just had a thing happen in LA here with the Dodgers where they were going to have a pride night and have like a drag group come. And there was a bunch of protests about it and they decided to, to, disinvite them and then there was more fallout from that and i don't actually know what the end result was but the reason i bring all that up is that i think it's very important to note that in 1996 when the birdcage was released in march it spent four weeks as the number one film in theaters in the united Mm -hmm. states i think that you know in re-watching it and revisiting it as a much more adult person i was i was an adult when it came out the first time but as a much more grown-up person who's seen a lot more of the world and understands better the issues that they're talking about and has actually seen that play out in life for for a lot of people um it's really interesting to see how far backward we are going in this country and when you see that um Mm -hmm. that this film which is not making fun of this lifestyle it uses a lot of tropes and things and it definitely uses a lot of humor but it has so much heart to it and to see that the way that this was handled in 96 and was so popular and made millions of dollars people were coming out i mean it it was number one for four Mm -hmm. weeks but it stayed in theaters for a while after that and just to see the way people are reacting to this type of entertainment now it's 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 crushing yeah yes i i agree with you in that sense i don't think that i don't know what the reception of the birdcage would be if it came out now um i think that's kind of difficult to say because the culture has actually changed and mm-hmm. in many ways for the better so the fact that our two main characters who have been together i think they say at one point they've been together for at least 20 years right are not married, cannot get married, right? They are life partners. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty obvious. And they talk about each other as in those terms, right? But at the same time, this was a time, you know, there's there's a joke about gays in the military (laughs) in Mm -hmm. at one point. Um, And, you know, and it's those little reminders that not are not some that are just hard baked into the film because that's it was part of the culture. The sense that like they would have to conceal the fact that they are two gay men with a grown-up son who wants to get married is is something that you know i i think that we would have a very different attitude towards it now i think that it would would have to be a very different story in a lot of ways yeah and Um, that's the thing like i'm not saying one way or the other if i think this movie could still succeed now it's it's more that this movie was celebrated when it came out and in society and in the way that we're actually treating human people off screen yeah, it's, that's what has just gone so backwards. But I think that we also have to note that people like Pat Robertson were saying that, you know, AIDS yeah. was a uh, was a judgment on the gay community. Right. Yeah. It was God's judgment. Right. Do um, not rest in peace, dude. <laughs> so I, I, I do think, yeah, it's, you know, ni- 1996. I, I didn't do a great sociological study of this film uh, or anything like that. But what? where was your prep on this? <laughs> but yeah, it's. I, I think that one of the reasons why drag in particular is being targeted is it is this terror of um, of you know men who dress like women, men who look like women. And interestingly enough, that's one of the elements that feeds into this entire film. It's all done in a comedic way, but the entire climax of the film is about convincing a bunch of conservatives that a man is a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
And it's it's really fascinating. And ultimately, one of the things that I love about this film is that drag saves the day. Drag is is the thing that basically saves everybody at the end of the movie. And it actually is kind of very gently leading the more bigoted people into like, well, you know, maybe you should be less bigoted. Maybe maybe we're not all that different. That kind of thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know where we want to start with this. Like, I think that there's a lot to to be said about it. First of all, I think that this is such an amazing film in part because Robin Williams is one of the more subdued people on the screen. Mm -hmm. And that in large part is because he cedes a lot of ground to Nathan Lane as Albert. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to watch because we're so, and that's not to say he's not funny. He is very funny, but he, he actually, I think that it's, I think it's very indicative of what a fantastic actor he was and what a good comedian he was, is that there's, there's a wonderful balance between him and Lane. Um, mm -hmm. between that sort of, you know, the the kind of external, crazy, emotional elements and the kind of more tamped down, sarcastic, uh, kind of just trying to get things moving. And again, it, it contributes to that sensation. These are two people who've been together for a very long time. They know each other really, really well. They know, like, he knows how Albert is going to react to certain things. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting to see Williams in a comedy, right, in, in a very, you know, kind of straightforward comedy in which he is in a lot of scenes actually playing the straight man. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I think it says a lot about who he was as a human, too. Like, he was not the star that had to have all the attention on himself, you know. And we we see some stars now where it's like they... They have to have the most lines. They have to have the biggest character. They have to have the biggest scenes. They they have to have this really showy role. And he was very, very willing to share with his co-stars, whether he was in comedies or dramas. I mean, he definitely had a persona that he was happy to bring out and that he did a great job with. And, you know, like Aladdin would not have been the same without his amazing performance. Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, wouldn't have worked without him specifically but i think that the way that he was totally happy to share the screen with other performers and and help elevate the people around him was part of what made him such a special um such a special star and a, a special presence yeah and and it's needed in this particular film it, mm -hmm. he needs to be a little bit more like i say in order to balance out kind of the craziness that is albert you need Armand to be kind of a little bit more tamped down, a little bit more in control. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. If the two of them were both off the wall, right? It, it wouldn't be funny. It, it would be a caricature. And I think that that's one of the issues that this film navigates really, really well, is telling a story that's very much a comedy about drag queens, about gay men in a humorous situation without it turning into this caricature. Um, mm -hmm. Or treating them, and and I think again, you know, it also speaks to Nathan Lane's performance as the character who is who is the more extreme. Um, he, there's never a sense that he is playing. It's this isn't only played for laughs. This is just like yes, this is a funny character, and he does funny things and he says funny things, but he's not ridiculous. He is like a human being, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that you. I think that that is very well said. I think that 
um, just kind of stemming from that. I think we we do have some moments like you have some characters like Agador played by Hank Azaria who do veer into caricature. But uh, even then, I think that there are some moments where like throughout, even when they're doing silly things or 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 kind of playing with stereotypes, I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of heart to it that that stops it from being just a you know like a ridiculous joke like it, it's i think there's love and admiration in the way that these characters are treated well and it, it goes back to a certain a degree of respect also for drag mm-hmm. i think yeah. and and respect of the culture that is actually being represented um of being like because drag the part of the point of drag is that it is funny that's common it's comedy right. you know it's performance it is right. extreme it, that's yeah. that's part of the point of it but at the same time it's it's a it's its own form of expression and it's something that needs to be respected. Right. Um, and Albert in specifically isn't turned into a joke because he's a drag queen and he's not like and drag itself is not turned into the joke. It's it's Albert has this over the top like, you know, bundle of neuroses. It's Albert specifically <laughs> is just this like really just wild person who is overly emotional and and like so it's not yeah so it's not that it's not that he's a drag queen uh it's that he is just someone who never really learned how to regulate his emotions (laughs) and it's hilarious because of it uh yeah well i i think in thinking about that so the the contrast between the initial scene where we meet um albert and the scene where he actually goes on stage. Mm-hmm. Right? So we meet him initially. He is having an absolute meltdown. Yeah. He is threatening to kill himself. He's saying that, you know, you hate me. Why do you hate me so much? <laughs> um, and, and literally, you know, he's having basically a diva moment, right? Yeah. And, and literally between Agador and Armand, they're both just trying to get him out on stage. Like, that's all they're trying to do. Just like, put on your goddamn costume and go out on stage. <laughs> But one of the fascinating things about it, as funny as that scene is, the minute he walks on stage and we see the opening of his his entrance and and the opening of his um of uh, his act, right? Mm-hmm. The minute he walks on stage, he's in command. Yeah, and that's and it's interesting as well because uh, much much later when we see him again going on stage to a certain degree, um, putting on another performance in drag you get the same thing. So he has been having basically a a multiple nervous breakdowns (laughs) over the course of the film, you know, freaking out, threatening that he's going to go to a cemetery with his toothbrush, um, (laughs) you know, trying really hard to, you know, to pretend to be a straight man, all of these things. And as soon as he puts on a dress, as soon as he puts on a wig and his makeup and everything like that, he is in command of himself and in control of himself. Other people are freaking out around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he is very much in control and it's an interesting kind of contrast to the character that he plays. And I think again, feeds into that idea of, um, for Albert drag is very much a, a centering, (laughs) a centering act and it's a performance, but it's an ability to, you know, actually be, maybe be in control of his emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I also, I, I think that we should also talk about uh, Gene Hackman and Diane Weiss <laughs> and Calista Flockhart as kind of the the other side. Uh, 
who are going to stay with the Jeb Bushes, by the way. (laughs) There are, like, throughout the film, there are all of these moments where you're just like, ah, the 90s. (laughs) There are all of these, like, really sly little jokes and and things like that. I forget. um, Well, the the part of it is that, like, they're friends with Bob Dole as well, and they're talking about Bob Dole a whole bunch. He says Bob Dole is too liberal. Too liberal, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of just funny, hilarious things like that that are just, what? (laughs) But again, in terms of that, you know, those elements of caricature almost, a lot of the time, one of the things I noticed on on this rewatch is that a lot of the caricaturing actually goes towards the the conservative people, um, which is an interesting sort of contrast. They're, again, very much human characters, very believable. I've met people like this before. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's just like these are, they're ridiculous in their own way. Um, this is a senator who's in the middle of a scandal because he is the head of the Coalition for Moral Order and his co-founder has just died in the bed of an underage prostitute. Um, <laughs> and 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 I, I like the, the fact that throughout all of this, uh, all of this panic that's going on with um, Armand and Albert and their son trying to... Um, trying to make like their home palatable to the ultra conservatives. The ultra conservatives are terrified that they're going to be rejected because their new in-laws are going to realize that like, Hey, you're like in the middle of this horrible sex scandal. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, they both have this stuff happening and neither one understands or realizes that it's not them. So it's like when, when they get to the, Goldman Coleman <laughs> which I think that's a hilarious <laughs> joke too um, but when they get to their house because uh, um, yeah then it's it's like Armand and Albert and Val they're worried about the bulls and something happens but then like the Keeleys mm-hmm. they're worried about like oh they're gonna know this this secret they're gonna or they're gonna realize they're gonna put two and two together in, in stuff and and Diane Weiss character her whole solution for all of this is like you know what let's just get our kids married off at 20 years old by the way uh really fast so that it'll help you know um help people be distracted from our scandal but they yeah and in the meantime they're walking into something else that (laughs) that val's family knows would be an even bigger scandal for them it's just such a it's not a comedy of errors but there's just so much that's like it's a comedy built on um people being afraid of how they're going to be perceived and not Mm -hmm. paying attention to what's actually going on around them and and also misunderstanding. So that entire yeah, yeah. that that dinner sequence, and we get both perspectives. We know why Armand and Val and eventually Al, <laughs> we know why they're having a breakdown, why this right. is so difficult. And they're like, oh God, we're fucking up completely. It's getting worse. And they get drunker and drunker, right? So they're all standing there <laughs> taking shots of scotch every time they go to the kitchen. Um so so they've got that, they have that going on. And then the Keeleys are putting a completely different interpretation on their behavior, mm-hmm. which makes oh, it yeah. all the wilder when Albert shows up dressed as like a combination of Barbara Bush and the Queen. Um, <laughs> he actually manages to sort of 
anchor everything for a moment, but it it is, first of all, it's a fantastic character entrance. Like when Albert comes in in, in his full drag, he's just like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going to happen now? <laughs> right, um, right. But it is, there. there is all of this like back and forth. And I think the film does a very good job at setting all of it up very believably because we see the Keeleys and what they're going through and their personalities and all of the things that they think they're dealing with. And we see... Um, Armand and Albert and Val trying to organize everything and and all of that kind of when that finally comes together in the in the third act in the dinner sequence everybody's interpretations and understandings of what's going on make perfect sense and they're all <laughs> wrong of course mm-hmm. yeah yeah which just makes it all the funnier which makes it all the funnier yes uh I think we need to talk about Val I think that we, yeah, there are two, two other things I want to talk about. But yes, let's talk about Val. Val um, sucks. Val, yes. Val, <laughs> amazingly enough, at, now that I'm like 36, I'm looking back, it's like, okay, he's supposed to be 20, right? Mm-hmm. All right, he's an idiot. Like, you know, you, when you're 20 years old, you're, you're not very bright. But also... I wanted someone to slap Val at some point. I wanted one thing that I, I think that this film misses a little bit is I really wanted Armand to stand up for Albert to yeah. Val specifically. Yeah. And to say to Val, like this, like, because the, the way that it's all presented, Albert raised Val. Albert is his mother. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Albert is the one who's like, you know, who's sobbing over his baby pictures and right. is so upset about him, you know, he, oh, he's it's, he's getting buried, he's grown up, like all of this stuff. And and Val's only thing, the only thing that he could do is just like, well, I've got to tell my dad, you know, Ar- Armand, to to get rid of him for the night. Yeah. Right. And and you do go like, well, give some, show your mother some respect. Like, give this man raised you. <laughs> That's I think that's where my frustration is with his character, because, yeah, I mean, he's 20. He's a dummy and he really wants to be able to marry this girl who's got a very well-connected father who's running for president. And um, so it's like politically, on the one hand, you can understand why he'd be concerned. But I think that the way that his concerns play out are done, uh, done wrong. (laughs) Like it's he doesn't have any. He doesn't seem to have any like like inner struggle with asking for Albert to just not be there. And that's I think the problem. Like like if it were and and I don't think that this takes away from the movie. I think the movie is brilliant and I love everything about it except for this. Um but I I I think that if it were more of like I don't know what to do. I really love him and I want him to be part of this, but at the same time this just like we need to do this later like introduce the reality of our family later this isn't the time to do it that would have would have made a little bit more sense but instead it's like he's just so willing val is just so willing to just kind of throw albert out of the process altogether and and yeah i mean the essentially because of the time that they that armand and albert have been together we know that basically not legally because that wasn't allowed but they they adopted and raised this child together that this was not or armand fathered him i guess but they Mm -hmm. raised this child together and um this isn't a situation where armand 
had Val. And then at some point a lot later, Albert came along. And so that's where it's like the fact that Armand, I mean, he definitely does make it clear that he's very hurt by this, but he's still willing to go along with it. And he multiple times is doing what he can to get Albert out of the picture to get um, Val's birth mother there and stuff. It just, it, that's the one that's the one thing that I wish that the film had done differently. And I think if the same movie were made today, I think there would, that would probably be addressed a little bit differently. Yeah. It's, it's like they're, they're missing an emotional beat right there, I think. And, um, and, and also to make us feel maybe a little bit more sympathetic to Val at some level that, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, as you say, to show him being more torn up about, what he's doing to to albert right um and this kind of insistence that because it's agreed upon pretty early that albert is the problem right that albert is the one who can't pretend to be masculine enough right um to men don't dab men smear (laughs) (laughs) well and i want to talk about that that in just a minute but to yes to stay with with val um yeah there needed to be he's a little bit of a one-note character he's kind of a plot device in a lot of ways Mm-hmm. And and I do think he gets one of the best emotional climaxes of the film, actually. But there needed to be maybe a little bit more lead up to that. And, and like you say, a little bit more conflict in terms of, you know, the things that he was saying. There are indications, and I think that it's important as a part of the film, there are indications that Armand has kind of fostered this in him a little bit. So mm-hmm. there's there's a brief mention of the fact like, oh, you know, when I went to basically when he went to prep school, right, you told me to tell my teacher that, um, you know, my father was a businessman. So there's been at least for a good bit of his probably of his childhood and and of his young adulthood. Um, he has been raised with the idea that at some level, what his father does and what his mother does is shameful. Yeah. Um, or should be concealed from the outer world in some way. And and so I think that that feeds into a little bit more of, of a sympathy for him, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does get the moment when, you know, he actually acknowledges both Albert and Armand as his parents and says, this is my mother. Um it is very moving. It's wonderful when he's he's just like, you know, he's finally like, okay no, we can't do this anymore. This is my mother. Yeah. And I think to Albert's credit, and I think Nathan Lane really sells this well, even though Val keeps essentially just shutting him out along the way and not wanting him to be part of this and, you know, trying to get rid of him, trying to, you know, hide him, whatever it takes. Albert's still there for him. He keeps showing up for him. Even like, when they discover that mm-hmm. that Catherine's not going to make it, she's stuck in traffic or whatever. Um, and Albert dresses up and is like, yeah, I'm here. I made it. I'm, I'm here without being asked to and saves the day, like completely wins over the Senator who just <laughs> loves her. And, and he, like Albert keeps showing up even when he's being constantly rejected because Albert at his heart is a person who just really like part of the reason that he has all these emotional breakdowns is because he's just someone who feels so much and and loves his family so much. Yeah. Um, and, and he says that a couple of times that he just wants to help. Right. So mm-hmm. he, 
So he does this whole thing about like, you know, pretending to be masculine. <laughs> and <laughs> trying so hard. So uncomfortable for him. It's quite obviously, and again, going back to like how Nathan Lane's performance, first of all, it's so funny. Um, second of all, it's so uncomfortable. He's obviously so uncomfortable, dude. We're gonna be manly now. Um, and and he fails at it miserably, but he's trying so hard because he wants Val to be happy. Mm-hmm. And because he wants to like be he wants his son and his partner to be proud of him. Yeah. And that's what runs through all of that, that like he wants to help them. Yeah. And and he can't in a lot of ways. There are ways that he cannot help them as as he shows in trying to pretend to be a straight man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's not even about him wanting the 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 new in-laws to to accept him or to think that he's like you know appropriate or whatever it's yeah it's it's all that he wants to to be there and show up for his family and help his val have the girl of his dreams mm-hmm. but but let's talk about that for just a minute the performance of gender in this film <laughs> is so fantastic and so much of it is about gender stereotypes and you know so there there's this whole conversation about like how there's basically an acceptance that, okay, Albert is just too obviously gay, right? Mm-hmm. He's so obviously gay, there's no possible way that he can pretend to not be gay. Right. Um, but he tries, and they try to teach him, you know, all right, here are all of the ways, here's how you behave like a man. <laughs> but one of the wonderful things, and I think beyond just the physical comedy and all of that, the the whole thing about the, the performance of gender so one of the most famous moments is where he walks like John Wayne, <laughs> right? Yes. And it's just like, oh yeah, John Wayne, who is the most manly man to ever man, obviously. So walk like John Wayne, and he does. And Armand is like, I never realized John Wayne walked like that. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's this like, yeah, that's unnatural. That's not, no one walks like that. <laughs> Right. No man <laughs> walks like that. Just John Wayne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's great. But that whole scene, even leading up to that moment, is is just it's so funny. Um, because yeah, like the the line I referenced a bit ago, men don't dab, men smear, and yeah. you've got <laughs> yeah, you've just got so many hilarious moments and like Armand keeps having to slap Albert's hand because he keeps sticking his pinky up. And every time he picks up a glass or picks up a spoon or whatever, he's got that pinky up in the air. And and uh, it, like everything about that scene is, yeah. is so funny. Oh, my God. I pierced the toast. <laughs> so, and, and that whole thing. <laughs> like the important thing is not to go to pieces when that happens. <laughs> yes, I could always get more toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like all those things that, that men get to get away with that he's not used to. And it's like, you you can get away with this too. <laughs> but but also how ridiculous it is, really. Right. Right, mm-hmm. like men smear, men don't dab. Like, yeah. wh- why? That's silly. <laughs> like, that's that's as much, and, and that's what I like about those scenes, is that it's as much a performance as drag or as being gay or anything else. It's like, why do we accept that like this one this behavior is manly yeah, right? this is it yeah mm-hmm. um 
I, I do have to say one thing that there are numerous lines in this film that I think have made it into like my family's general parlance, but <laughs> the whole thing where they're talking about football and, uh, and like about some, some play that the dolphins made. And he says, <laughs> how, how do you feel? How do you think I feel? Bewildered, <laughs> betrayed. <laughs> and that has come up in my family way too many times. Just like, how do you think I feel? Betrayed, bewildered. <laughs> yep. There are just some other, just like, really funny whether they're sight gags or one-liners that that are just so brilliant in this movie like when they tell um agador played by hank azaria that he needs to wear something straight looking and he shows back up in a tank top that says straight looking across it (laughs) (laughs) or how he just can't walk in shoes can't walk in shoes never does he walks around barefoot all the time and (laughs) yeah well, and and I I have to say that like the climax of the film when it, when they finally are reveal right that Albert is is not a woman, mm-hmm. um, and and Gene Hackman's reaction to that I think is a <laughs> masterclass, like yes. the whole thing because and and I think that that's one of the things that this film does very well is that it shows these people who are conservative who are very sort of very homophobic etc but at the same time don't really don't don't really know any gay people don't actually know anybody don't look at at people as human beings first right Mm -hmm. and his total disbelief that he just cannot process it and they have to explain it to him like five times for before he (laughs) actually gets it diane weist just sitting there going they're both Men, <laughs> this is a man. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's and just, that's the thing. It's because he's been so taken with this woman because he's just enjoyed talking to her and listening to her mm-hmm. talk about how no, we shouldn't kill abortion doctors. We should kill the mothers. And <laughs> and it's like I love yeah, this woman's great. And then to be confronted with like actually, this is everything that you think you're against. It's yeah it's his brain can't process it it glitches i have to say i laughed so hard at that at that joke i think i think that like i missed that joke on other viewings this time around i was just like that is terrible and i love it that mm-hmm. like, the fetus might as well go down with the ship <laughs> jesus christ armand trying so hard to keep it together when that whole conversation is going on mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, but I, I I do think that it actually really concludes with this idea at a certain level of just like being like, well, we're all people and we're mm-hmm. all families and we love our kids. Yeah. Right. And we want our kids to be happy. And maybe we're and it it is that kind of like maybe we're more alike than we are different. And so being gay, straight, whatever is not that big of a deal, ultimately. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, so you end up with that great moment where the only way that the good senator and his family can get out of the house and and escape the paparazzi and and press that are outside the door is to accept and dress and drag themselves. And I like the fact that Albert puts on a tux Mm -hmm. at the end. Like he goes as a man. Yeah, everybody in the end is playing a part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, I love that, like... I love that you don't have to see a scene of like them trying to convince Gene Hackman this is the only way. It kind of just cuts to him being in this amazing 
dress and then he's complaining about how they put him in white and white isn't slimming enough and like that's his complaint in that moment he's just kind of like <laughs> all right well this is what we're gonna do and is able to get right past the the photographers and the press that are all sitting there knowing he's in there somewhere and he's able to just walk right past them but um but i just i like that they they did that and it you know in that moment mm-hmm. it's not just about getting gene hackman in a dress although that was great it was really about him having to accept that like there's a benefit to this you know and <laughs> and that this isn't all bad and that mm-hmm. there is some there is a sort of a protection i guess in taking on this alter ego persona mm-hmm. yeah drag saves the day it does at the end yeah. of the day it is it's a wonderful film um it's like i say i've seen it so many times i think you've seen it so many times i think it was not the first uh robin williams film that i saw but it was it was probably one of the first to be totally honest really um yeah, it, well, it came out in 1996. I would have been about 10 years old. I definitely saw it when it came out. I didn't see it in theater, but it is, it's so lovely. And it is available, I believe, on Tubi and a couple of other places. It's also Paramount on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, yeah. Yeah. Um, and is 100% worth seeing. If you have not seen it, like, wow. Uh, if you've never seen it, I'm so sorry for you. If you <laughs> have, if it's just been a while, you should definitely watch it again. Definitely revisit it. it. I've seen it so many times and I still find it hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which it never gets is, old. Is the mark of a very good comedy, I think. Yep. Um, so the other one of the other films we wanted to talk about is a uh, a 1999 satire. I guess it, I guess it's called. I always think of this as like a feminist John Waters film. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, but I'm a cheerleader. Uh, directed by Jamie Babbitt and starring. In a great shock to me, because I did not realize <laughs> this until I saw a tweet about it, Natasha Leone as uh, as a a teenager, uh, a teenage cheerleader whose parents and friends think is one hundred percent a lesbian, and decide to send her to a conversion therapy camp to cure her lesbianism, um, and at the camp. She she realizes that she is in fact a lesbian, which she did not know before. <laughs> mm-hmm. When she meets and begins to fall in love um, with Graham, played by Clea Duvall, it also has Melanie Linsky, uh, Kathy Moriarty, who is just wonderful, and of all people, RuPaul, <laughs> playing an ex-gay, which I used is to hilarious. be a gay. <laughs> <laughs> that line just kills me. <laughs> And RuPaul, RuPaul plays it straight the entire yep. film. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's great. Uh, so this this one, like I say, I always think of this as a feminist John Waters film. It actually does pull, like, it deliberately pulls a great deal of like the aesthetic from John Waters, um, the really bright uh, pinks and blues, the really extremity of again that those those things about gender performance and how you be straight right how you occupy the correct gender roles as it were and mm-hmm. it takes what's a very serious um and real thing which is conversion um conversion therapy conversion therapy major uh quotation marks around that and this attempt to kind of force gay people to be heterosexual and to behave as heterosexuals, et cetera. Um, 
And actually does make it, well, like kind of acknowledging how damaging it is, it also makes it very comedic and sort of highlights how ridiculous it all is. Because again, it, it feeds into all of those elements of like the performance of straightness, the performance of gender as this is the way that men act. This is the way that women act. It's so stupid in a lot of ways. And I, I like the fact that it's the central character is a cheerleader, arguably the most, you know, feminine of um, of high school pursuits, certainly. And and yet she is and she embraces that she likes being a cheerleader. She wants to be a cheerleader. It's one of the things that she actually has joy, takes joy in. Um, and and yet, you know, she because of because she's gay, she's not feminine enough. Yeah. So what, are your, what are your thoughts about this film, Karen? I'm like, I'm not sure where to start. Um, it's difficult. Of, yeah. Well, first of all, I will say that when you messaged me and said, oh, my gosh, Natasha Leone is the star, but I'm the cheerleader. I had this moment of like all of a sudden I saw the the cover image or the the uh, poster image and I was like, oh, yeah, that is Natasha Leone. Like it, it was like <laughs> as soon as as soon as you said it, it clicked for me like, yeah, that is who that is. That's crazy. It, just, it, it all connects <laughs> like like I, I saw a tweet that was from Melanie Linsky talking about she, she did an interview with Natasha Leone and she said, oh, and we talked about Clea. And I was like, when the hell were Melanie Linsky and Natasha Leone? In <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Um, so that's fun. That's a fun detail. Like, this is such a such a good cast. But um, I think overall, some of the things that I really like about the film, it is it is um, I think a feminist John Waters is such a good description of it because i think that um there's a cheesiness to it that is that is entirely intentional Mm -hmm. that people are like oh this like some people have really dismissed the movie because of that and it's like no this is that actually is part of what makes it so so good and i think so enduring you know the aesthetic um is reminiscent of some of that it's also and actually also reminded me a little bit of um the love witch where there's sort of this element of like, I'm not really sure when this is supposed to take place, like just from a design standpoint only. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not sure when this when this is. I'm not sure, you know, even totally where this is. It's kind of it's kind of this like a little bit disorienting, but in a really good way that that just kind of makes it um, like a little bit like it just makes it just adds to it being an engaging film. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think that when you're, when you're going to do satire in order to do it well, you have to have an element of surrealism to it, um, in in a movie like this, I think. And so I think Jamie Babbitt, the way that this is all constructed, I think because of those design choices, um, and, and really emphasizing the pink and the blue, you know, which are the traditional gender colors, and I think emphasizing those types of points just really helps make her satire really work. Um, yeah. I find it unfortunate that a lot of people don't like this movie because uh, not only is it really funny and very pointed, I think that it's a very smart comedy too. Yeah, no, it it, it definitely is. And I think that part of the reason why some people kind of dismiss it is is exactly what you're talking about is that it is satirical. 
and it's taking this this very serious thing and making fun of it and part of what she's doing is that she is satirizing these gender roles she's satirizing you know the pink and the blue right mm-hmm. how and and i i don't think unless you're going to do it in a really serious way in something like um the miseducation of cameron post which is much more serious right um, and is actually about a, you know, the, the re- quote, real experience of, of conversion therapy. But it's this film's job. What it's trying to do is it's not even really about conversion therapy. It's about it's about heteronormative culture in a lot of ways. Right. It's about like, you know, here are all of the ways that you have to be in order to be feminine, in order to be masculine, in order to be straight and even in order to be gay. And one of the things that it does is it emphasizes the world of the queer community is far broader and happier and more accepting than the world of the straight community. Um, So heteronormativity basically hurts everybody. Right. Yeah. And And it causes pain for everybody. And it means that people are denying the people that they actually are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get this really great character. Um, who is it jan i think who's at one point is like i'm not even gay i'm here because people just look at me and they see my short hair and they see the way that i dress and they just make all these assumptions about me you know and then you have you have other characters who are you know trying so hard to be straight and it's it really is um yeah it, it, it i think i think you're exactly right i think the reason that this is such good satire is that it's it's more about the ridiculousness of trying to force people not to be who they na- who they naturally are and how if we just let people be themselves we can have such a more uh a more beautiful wonderful world where people can just exist and we don't have to have all of this like people spend so much time and energy trying to force others to comply with what they think that the world should look like and it's like imagine what you could do with all that extra time if you weren't so (laughs) focused on what other people are doing well and and the pain that it causes and the creation of the and the further creation of bigotry i think one of the um most almost in, in a lot of ways most powerful scenes in the film is when um they've all been to the gay bar and and the the and it's these these two men who who like kind of broke them out of jail right and Mm -hmm. took them to this gay bar and then it's like not that long after they go and protest at the house right right? and it's all and and the clay duvall character throws a rock right and it's it's actually a very sad and i think very powerful commentary on the fact that you know that that concealing that 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 need to conceal the person that you are that need to conceal the fact that she's lesbian prompts her to you know act out her bigotry in an even more extreme way it prompts her to be like well i've got to be nastier i've got to be more violent because then they'll believe that i'm not gay right, right? then they'll let me out of here basically and and it is it's it's all that like you know the the parents essentially saying like you know you're not allowed to come home mm-hmm. um if you don't complete this course right you're you're not allowed to be the person that you are and it really emphasizes in a comedic way that i think allows for that emphasis to actually have a greater impact in a lot of ways it really emphasizes the sheer damage that this does to people um and it does to everybody 
Yeah. Now, I mean, you mentioned the miseducation of Cameron Post, which is also a very good movie. Um, around the like, not long before that came out, we had the one. Um, um, I can't, I can't think of what it's called with Lucas Hedges. That was also about um, mm-hmm. these conversion camps. Um, those are both very dramatic looks at at that um really terrible and very damaging practice but um i think that when you're trying to when you're trying to show people um what this what this really looks like and what this really does to people um sometimes it's a lot more helpful to do it with comedy to do it with humor to just really point out the absolute ridiculous stupidity of something like forcing these kids to get to the point where they're lying i mean they're sitting there saying like oh i'm cured i totally have a crush on this boy now let me out and like we all know that she doesn't mean it we all know that she's just saying it to get out of there and i think for people who really need that education really need to be uh really need to be enlightened um, sometimes you can get farther with, with humor than you can with, with drama and, and the more yeah. emotional stories. Yeah. And, and it allows, I think that, you know, both of the films we talked about, it allows for there to be joy. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that people have pointed out numerous times is that a lot of, there are quite a lot of films that focus on the LGBTQ community that focus on particularly teenagers um, that really do focus on the, you know, pain and suffering in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film again ta- takes this um, this this serious subject, and yeah, it makes fun of it in a lot of ways. It points out that ridiculousness of it, yeah. and the, and that's what I'm saying. It's almost not. It's not really you know just about gay conversion therapy. It's about um, it's about the entire culture that has all of these requirements about the correct way to be male or female and completely disregards the reality of the people's reality. And, and it does show that like, you know, the people like the Kathy Moriarty character are ridiculous. Right. It's ridiculous. She's ridiculous. And she is so convinced that she's doing the right thing. And she believes that she's been successful because of her son who she cured of being gay, but clearly she didn't. And (laughs) Like right under her nose, these people that work for her, her own child, all these kids in, you know, that are currently in her program that are actively going around, sneaking around behind her back or lying straight to her face. Like she, she just is so convinced that she's doing the right thing. And because we, as the audience know what's really happening, we can see things literally happening behind her back. Sometimes it really just highlights how misguided she is and Mm -hmm. how how uh how much she's actually failing when she thinks that she's winning but also just to what you were saying like this really is a joyful movie because of because of the bright colors because of the the moments where characters get to kind of explore certain uh things you know for for megan this is all new to her she didn't even know she was a lesbian until they made her go to this camp you know (laughs) and then when she gets to have that first kiss with a girl it's this amazing experience you know or when they go to the gay bar and they get to just just be a little liberated and they get to just have some fun and um yeah it's not all it's not all just like 
oh, my family rejected me, which is definitely something that happens and it's really sad, but it's more about like, eh, your family rejected you, but hey, we've got a place for you here. <laughs> you know, like we'll be your family now. Yeah. And and I love that too. I, I like the, so when she, when she does go to, um, yeah. So, so when she actually goes to Larry and Lloyd's house and she finds Dolph there <laughs> um, and Rufio, sorry. Yeah. Rufio. I know he showed up. I was just like, Rufio. <laughs> Rufio. <laughs> Um, there are some people like what <laughs> he's in hook. hook he's in yeah. hook he plays rufio mm-hmm. um you if you've seen hook you re- definitely recognize him yes uh but yeah when she when she goes to larry and lloyd's and it's i i think that one of the great things about that sequence is that it shows how normal their home is it's a mm-hmm. normal home like with a kitchen table and like, you know, people having dinner together and these two, these two guys being like, yeah, you know, like, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll look after you. You know, what do you need basically? And in contrast to the extremity of, um, of the camp and the, the, like the rigidness of it. And it actually shows just like, this is, these are just people like this is just a normal household with normal people in it not this like you know forcible role that you have to play right um in order to make other people happy Mm -hmm. so any other thoughts on but i'm a cheerleader um i love that we get a random julie delby moment and (laughs) um michelle williams (laughs) there's just so many fun little like what this person is in this i don't remember that (laughs) yeah julie delpy showed up i was like is that julie delpy like i had to look it up i was just like that can't maybe maybe she just looks like julie delpy just like nope that's julie delpy she plays a character called lipstick lesbian Mm -hmm. love it um and yes this this is a film that was not particularly well received by the wider critical community when it came out um it's it did get a lot of play and a lot of attention from the gay community, uh, understandably from the queer community. And it's, it's, I think it's one of those films that has become very much a cult hit. Yeah. It's one that that got definitely got a reappraisal in the last couple of years. And now that we have broadened um, the pool of who gets to call themselves a critic and gets to feed into scores like meta and rotten tomatoes, it's, um, we're really seeing this uh this change but it's interesting because like if you look at the meta score which i don't i don't put a lot of emphasis on those things um but it's interesting because it says that the average is 39 but when you actually break it down and start looking at it most of the scores are 50 and above so it's like even at the time how many really it's what one of those things like this movie kind of got buried and i think it's because a lot of people didn't really see it at the time that it came out Mm -hmm. it took it's definitely had this like cult following and it helps that natasha leone is a much bigger star now jamie babbitt has done some awesome stuff recently especially so it's like there's more more emphasis on these earlier projects um just because of of you know like when you have someone that you're like oh man this person's been around forever now i want to go back and see their stuff yeah that i might have missed and 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 as as you pointed out i must i must say the 
sheer number of men of male critics that are quoted on this, mm-hmm. uh, I think is kind of indicative. It's, it's one of the things that, you know, in a broader sense, I never trust, uh, I barely trust Rotten Tomatoes scores generally, but I never trust Rotten Tomatoes scores when you're talking about films made before like 2010, basically. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, because so much of it is, is it, it's so much of it is just, it's primary cisgendered men. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're not always right. Amazingly enough. Yeah, that is very true. Very true. And it's also like, even among, like, even among the women, people of color that, that were contributing at the time, like our willingness to accept non, you know, heteronormative stories, non-white male stories, um, is just mm-hmm. broader now too. So and and you do have to say this is a film that's made you know so only a few years after the birdcage mm-hmm. um and obviously a very different film but dealing with similar themes dealing with similar things not as like a a big as a big star vehicle in the same way right. um but i i do think that it's it's interesting that it has had in a lot of ways such a rebirth as kind of this cult hit as this underground hit mm-hmm. um and has definitely been reevaluated in more recent years yeah it makes me like I, I constantly have this like what else do I need to go back and and revisit like what else need mm-hmm. deserves kind of a, a new life you know there's lots of there's lots of things that do yes definitely um so and that can also be streamed on Criterion Channel right now and I think a few other places it is if you have not seen um, but I'm a cheerleader like it's well worth your time it's a fantastic cast it's funny it's strange let's say. Feminist John Waters is the closest mm-hmm. that I can come to describing what it is. Um, and, and that is very deliberate. Yes. So yes, the last definitely. one we wanted, the last one we wanted to mention was actually a film that I talked about uh, last year, around about the same time, <laughs> probably, mm-hmm. um, which is Fire Island, the uh, 2022 romantic comedy directed by Andrew Ahn and starring, um, Written by and starring, and starring, and starring Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Young. I was about to say Bowen Young, um, Conrad Rickamora, James Scully, and Margaret Cho, who I love in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and I have described it, numerous people have described it. It's based on Pride and Prejudice. So it is yeah. it is gay Pride and Prejudice, basically. <laughs> uh, about a group of friends who every year go to Fire Island to their um, their lesbian friend's house. And and is about like, you know, I mean, if, if we're talking about the birdcage as being like this, this kind of insular world where people are having to conceal who they are in certain spaces, this is very much about people not having to conceal who they are at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so Karen, you, this, this was um, the first time that you saw this movie. So what did you think of it? Yeah, I never got around to watching it last year. And then it was just kind of one of those that I've been meaning to get to. And this was a good opportunity. And it's definitely a big gay movie. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, it's it's so much fun. It's really funny. Um, and and uh, there's just there's just so much. Um, if you want to talk about a joyful movie, there's a lot of joy in this um mm-hmm. yeah it's and i think one of the things there's so many adaptations obviously of pride and prejudice that's a story that's been done to death but i love when people 
um, adapt it in a way that that fits in their culture. And that's what you get in this case, because there are certain things that it's like, okay, you know, there's certain story beats that have to happen if this is really going to be a a Pride and Prejudice story. Um, Like, you know, there has to be a Mr. Darcy, you know, there has to be a Mr. Um, um, Knightley. Uh, No, did I have the wrong one? I don't know. Anyway, Bingley. Bingley. Yeah, the one that Jane marries. Anyway, like, you know that those characters have to exist. You also know there has to be a Mr. Wickham. And so you get those things and um, then but then it becomes like, okay, well, how is this story going to work? And what are the things that are going to bring these characters together? And I think having these big house parties and that random guy who's constantly like, can I help you? But that's not really what he's asking. Like, you just have those 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 things that are are just so funny because of the fact that they're very specific to um to this group of people um and to this community while also touching on something a story that we all know really really well (laughs) i i really had no idea that gay men were so much like women in the regency period but it's (laughs) it's very true um no it's it's fantastic like it's you're right. I, I like the fact that, you know, we've got, oh, of course, the house parties. Of course, they're going to go to the house parties and they're going to meet these people. And they're they're the people who are like really rich and superior and think a lot of themselves. And then they're, they're like the more normal people who are like here for the weekend. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then even like, I'm sorry to spoil it, but even like the whole thing with the, the Wickham character, like mm-hmm. obviously them running off together wouldn't be a big scandal, but like revenge porn certainly is you know so it's it, it's like modernizing and and bringing it into this community um in ways that that really fit in the times that we're in and i i enjoyed that and it's just fun it's bright it's funny it's got a great cast um and just like gorgeous scenery too i the first time i'd ever heard of fire island was this the big fire island scandal that happened and the documentaries that resulted from that so i never knew that this was a place that people go but now i'm like oh my gosh this this just looks like so much chaos i would totally lose my mind there but uh i totally get why people (laughs) want to go it looks like such a trip I, I I do know people who have like been to the Fire Island Pride parties and and all of that stuff. It does sound like a trip. Like I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's a bit much for me. But I am so glad that they have it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, I loved it, this movie. It ma- I I I I agree with you. It manages all of those beats that you kind of expect in Pride and Prejudice. And yeah, and because like you say because it's such a well-known story, we kind of know where it's going, but mm-hmm. we don't really know exactly how it's all going to work out. Right. Um, and, and, but I like the fact that it's also very, you said it was, it was like, it's very specific to this community, but it also is saying something about the community. I think it's using, it's doing what all good adaptations do actually, which is it's using the kind of the structure of the story mm-hmm. um, and the characters within the story to sort of say something else about, um about the community and also just to present a um like they like say a very joyful gay story that has and spoiler it has a happy ending but it mm-hmm. isn't the same kind of happy ending as in pride and prejudice right because that um, wouldn't fit yeah exactly and it's it's so real i remember coming to the end of the film and being like a little bit sad but also being like actually this makes perfect sense for them <laughs> like it 
for these characters and for the way that they're portrayed and also for the fact that, you know, all of them are growing up, they're getting a little bit older. This is becoming less and less about what they want to do. And they're making choices about their own desires and relationships, their own desires about their, their sexuality, their sex lives. Um, and they're all kind of finding their way through. And it's a really positive representation, I think. Yeah, definitely. So any final thoughts on Fire Island? Just watch it. It's on Hulu. It's under two hours and it is just such a such a great time. It is so much fun. Um, <laughs> I yeah, like I, I'm certain I was more eloquent about it when I talked about it last last year. <laughs> um, but it really is a wonderful film. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yep. Um, so before we close this out, we did have we did get a few comments from uh, our our listeners from our lovely patrons. Uh, Michelle said that she is excited for this trilogy of movies. Uh, yay! We hope that you enjoyed it. Um, but I'm a cheerleader is a fave of mine. T- definitely top five in the genre. Great cast and outstanding soundtrack. Um, the Birdcage is a classic, and I enjoyed Fire Island. Um, so the, some other faves in the big gay category are Pride, um, which is a fantastic film. Have you seen Pride? Um, the one with uh, um, the yes, miners. I think I have. Yeah. The miners and the like. I was thinking more of the the actor that's in it, but yes, I have seen that one. Yes, yeah, it's good. It's really good. The miners and the gay activists and everybody <laughs> yes. comes together. I think that one's on Prime Video right now. I think that it is. Yeah, I've seen I've seen people talking about it again recently. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two films I have I've heard of Go Fish. Uh, I have not seen it, and I've not heard of Longtime Companion. So neither. That is definitely one to check out. So thank you for that, Michelle. And my lovely mother, uh, Sharon, says that she is happy that Citizen Name is discussing film that recognizes the challenges that um, non-binary and LGBTQ folks faced once and now face both. But I'm a cheerleader and The Birdcage are very funny and sad and well worth watching. Um, and... And, and she mentions that the hypocrisy of some of the people in politics continues to anger me as I watch the birdcage again. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm a cheerleader, she points out. I felt sad that some folks can decide what is normal and act to cure or reject someone that they say that they love. But to see the passion and love so sensitively portrayed in that film is beautiful, as well as all too rare in recent film. That's true. Yeah. Um, that was the, I think the one time that But I'm a Cheerleader kind of steps back from the satire is the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it actually like really treats them very realistically and kindly and gently, and it's it's a really it's really well done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, both films remind me uh, remind me that film itself can have the power to move a person. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> so I think any final thoughts? I think that's going to close us out. Watch more big gay movies. There's so many big gay movies and a lot of places are like showing more like they have pride collections and they're showing big gay movies. So watch some big gay movies. Mm-hmm. And definitely if you've seen these films, rewatch them. If you haven't seen these films, definitely watch. Them. If you haven't seen, I mean, I can understand if you haven't seen, but I'm a cheerleader or fire Island, but if you have not seen the birdcage, I have questions for you. I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> if you haven't, man, you are in for such a great time. Like, such for a real. great time. Yeah. It makes me really frustrated that um, the movie only got nominated for one Oscar. 
It wasn't like art direction. Yeah. Which Bo Welch, I mean, he totally deserved it, but it's like, where are the nominations for Robin Williams and Nathan Lane in that movie? <laughs> Where's the screenplay nomination? You know, like, ugh, that movie yeah. was robbed. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic film. And I, I got choked up at the, the bus bench scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I, I don't know why, but there's something that was just, this time around, it was just so poignant. I was like, oh, they it's love so each good. other. Well, and, and I think that some of it is that is, some of it is honestly that these are two people who are obviously dedicated to each other, who belong to each other, et cetera. And they're not allowed to be married. Right. And they're not allowed, you know, they're, they're not allowed to declare that Albert is Val's mother, you know, any of that stuff. And that fact is very much present in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's moving. I think that as a result, it's very moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the only thing that they can legally do for each other. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and let us know some of your favorite big gay movies. Um, we, of course, always want to thank our lovely patrons who continue to support us. And uh, hopefully you guys have all gotten your buttons and stickers. If you haven't, do let me know. Um, and I will get those out to you immediately. I think I've I think I've got everybody. Uh, and uh, our lovely patrons are Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Pow. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you'd like to join their number, our Patreon is patreon.com slash citizen dame. You get bonus episodes, you get episodes early, and you get some fun little things uh, that we will continue to, to get out to people. So if you like the show, if you want to keep supporting us, that would be fantastic if you're able to, to kick us some, some bucks every month. Um, we do have our Zazzle stores uh, still, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our Ko-Fi account, co-fi.com slash citizen dame. Also, if you want to leave us just ratings on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you happen to be listening to this, um, a, a five-star rating is really helpful and it'll kind of help us rise in the ranks as it were. Uh, you can also check out our website, that's citizendamepod.com, and I should be having some Tribeca reviews going up pretty soon, and you can see other reviews and editorials and commentary that we have up there right now. Uh, you can also get in touch with us via email, that's citizendamepod at gmail.com, and we are on the various socials. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and we are on Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. Do definitely follow us there, and we post like all of the movies that we talk about um, and various lists as well. Of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Jen, stop trembling. Hold the knife boldly in strength. (laughs) I pierced the toast. So what? The important thing to remember is not to go to pieces when that happens. You have to react like a man. Calmly. You have to say to yourself, Albert, you pierced the toast. So what? It's not the end of your life. Try another one. Albert, you pierced the toast. So what? You're right. There's no need to get hysterical. All I have to remember is I I can always get more toast. That's the spirit.